Welcome to Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice stories. Today's story was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri, the Canberra region, for Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, Nam, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Horridge. Let's have integrity in the process and let's design systems that are not using the colonisers' models. Let's use Indigenous ways of thinking and Indigenous ways of working. And once you start to decolonise your brain, it really does open you up to a whole new world. And that's where I think our work has been quite revolutionary. Would you like to decolonise your mind? Listen on as Earth Matters talks to Rowan Foley, manager of the Aboriginal Carbon Foundation, about the return to traditional savannah burning to cut CO2 and care for country. He explains how accreditation standards for the carbon credits earned can use a different philosophical approach, using Indigenous knowledge and experience and by valuing culture. Rowan, I'm really interested in how this story of savannah burning and stopping carbon emissions through hot fires is unfolding. In September 2017, Kerry Lee Harding interviewed you for Earth Matters about this topic. What is savannah burning? What's a carbon offset? How does it help communities? And what's been happening in the last 18 months? Well, savannah burning is a carbon methodology where we're burning the country early in the dry season, so our greenhouse gas emissions are quite low as compared to the average late in the dry season where your carbon emissions are quite high and so we measure the difference between the low and the high and that gives us our carbon credits so it's it's an abatement so uh, you know rather than having the wildfires raging through the country uh, we're stopping that stopping the huge greenhouse gas emissions we're having cool fires which is good for country good for culture and good for people. Can you paint a picture for me of on a day when this is actually happening What are people doing? Are they walking, lighting fires, or are they in cars? How does it work? Rangers and traditional owners lighting fires, either through drip torches or matches. Um, And the difference is you can stand beside the fire. So people say, what's the difference between a cool fire and a hot fire? A cool fire you can stand beside, a hot fire you're running away from. So you're uh, on foot, or sometimes you have quads or, or vehicles, and you're actually lighting fires by hand. Now, most of the um, you know, boots on the ground, um, there's a lot of work involved. Uh, you've got to choose your time, so when the country is still a little bit wet, a little bit green, so those fires are still quite low. But because this, the stations or the properties that do the burning techniques are quite large, like you're talking one to 2,000 square kilometres, we'll also use helicopters as well to cover the large inaccessible areas. But the more boots on the ground you can have, the more people lighting the fires on the ground, uh, the better it is, and the more, the more delicate your burns will be as well. So you're protecting fire-sensitive species. The main thing around carbon farming, the main reason why we do it is to look after country. And through looking after country, we, have, we protect the social, cultural and environmental values of the country. So a lot of people put the cart before the horse, and this is very important. A lot of people go out chasing carbon credits. And I say, if you go chasing carbon credits, you will fail. Do not do that. The only question that you have in the front of your mind is how should this country be burnt? 
That's the one question that we have in our mind, and that's the one question that we want to satisfy. And don't put the cart before the horse. Don't go, oh, well, Rowan, if we do this, we'll get more carbon credits. I, you know, Not that many people say this, but sometimes people think it. And I say to them, look, if you're putting the cart before the horse, this project will fail. We are not doing this for carbon credits. We are not doing this for money. We're doing this because it's the right way to burn country. And if we have good project management, good land management, then the carbon credits will flow. So don't don't put the cart before the horse. The scale of this project across the top end of Australia is enormous. Yeah, it is. It's it's across uh, Cape York, the Gulf Carpentaria, uh, top end of the Northern Territory and the whole of the Kimberley. So it's across the whole of Northern Australia where carbon farming now is a, a major agribusiness. It's a major source of income for traditionalists and rangers. And it's a major source of Australian carbon credits, isn't it, Savannah burning? Yeah, we're the fourth largest producer of carbon credits in the carbon industry. So um, it's, it's quite large, yeah. On your website, I can see there are some other methodologies listed. Are any of those um, becoming viable or breaking ground yet? Oh, for sure. So down south, it's mainly all around veg management. So planting trees or human-induced regeneration, which is removing cattle and feral animals, which allows the vegetation to grow up. Uh, could be uh, clean fill from the, the rubbish tips, uh, environmental methodology. You can also have herd methodology as well, which is reducing methane from cattle production. So there's about 30 different methodologies you can use. It's just the savannah burning methodology is the main one we use across northern Australia. Are any of the other methodologies going to be suitable for Indigenous communities to use? Well, one cattle station, we're looking at herd methodology. Um, so for Indigenous properties in New South Wales and Victoria, the veg management uh, methodologies are highly suitable. Uh, it's just that, you know, the, the Savannah work, burning one works across northern Australia, but it's horses for courses. So New South Wales and Victoria and South Australia and southwest Western Australia uh, would be looking at veg management uh, methodologies. So what's it like being in the community or with a group of rangers who are learning these processes? So we've done the training program now with rangers and traditional owners in Mapoon and Kaunyama, and what that looks like is a lot of laughs. So we play country music, uh, we tell a lot of jokes, we do a lot of drawings, uh, tell a lot of stories. It's the training's over four or five days. Uh, people really love the work that they're doing, and, and there's a lot of stories that come out through this work. Um, and it's just a, you know, it's just a project that people are really interested in doing. Um, and so we, uh, the verification of the social, cultural, environmental values, that's really an Indigenous leadership program, and that's where rangers are working with other rangers to verify those values, and um, that's a very interesting piece of work. Could you expand a little bit about those values and how you can verify them? What's it about? Well, we've developed a new industry standard around uh, monitoring evaluation of social, cultural and environmental values. The reason why we developed a new standard was because all of the Western standards just didn't fit. You can't tweak a standard whose soul is fundamentally different. You can't try and shoehorn it into something that doesn't fit. So we created our own because Indigenous people, they own a lot of land, they have a lot of values, and we thought we would develop our own, which uh, has taken a few years. Uh, it's not an easy piece of work. Uh, so Paolo Freire, uh, who wrote The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, is one of our guiding lights. Um, we've taken a different philosophical approach to the monitoring and evaluation uh, framework, and so far it's, people are really switched on to it. 
Uh, we're using indigenous knowledge and expertise, and we're not using so much the language of the colonizers, whether it be Portuguese, French, German, or English. Uh, we're using indigenous knowledge and experience. And once you once you step away from the Western notions, uh, it really does free up your mind, and you start to understand that we should have the integrity of an indigenous knowledge systems. And then when you start to put them in frameworks, uh, you have a different set of principles. And those principles and values, uh, you know, let's say, you know, Paulo Freire, we, we, we certainly use some of his thinking. So it's a different approach. The pedagogy of the oppressed. Pedagogy is a teaching method. What, what is pedagogy of the oppressed? The pedagogy of the oppressed. It's uh, Paulo Freire is an educationist, a Brazilian educationalist. And he really talked about if you don't allow what he said was men to have inquiry, if you don't allow men to inquire as to how knowledge is, is gained and, and used, then you're really performing an act of violence against them. So you're saying, no, no, you know, shut up, sit down, we don't want to hear from you, you, know, you will be told what to do. And he said, no, we, we, you know, everyone has the right to inquire. And that's what we're, we're using, that philosophy of not using rangers and traditionalists as simply um, a, a set of tools to collect data. And this is what the Western philosophy is all about. And we, we, just, we just moved away from that because, you know, we're not trying to shoehorn it. You know, we're not, we're not trying to, um, you know, tweak a, a standard whose soul is fundamentally different. We just accept reality and say, look, that was a Western system set up by people who think in a Western way. It is not designed for Indigenous people. So let's have integrity in the process and let's design systems that are not using the colonizers' models. Let's use Indigenous ways of thinking and Indigenous ways of working. And once you start to decolonize your brain, it really does open you up to a whole new world. And that's where I think our work has been quite revolutionary. And it's been picked up by First Nations in Canada and by Maori people in New Zealand. As people want to have integrity in Indigenous knowledge systems, they don't want to have a model, that a Western model being corrupted or shoehorned into an Indigenous way. So we just said, well, why bother? Why don't you just set up your own? I, Rowan Foley, I can feel my colonised mind flaring up. When you say, oh, we're not collecting data... Well, you know, don't we need data and indicators to verify how much carbon is not being burnt in a hot fire and how much carbon is being left as logs on the ground to become soil? No data. My mind is bristling. It, there's plenty, <laughs> plenty of data. There's plenty of, it's an evidence-based approach, but it's uh, an Indigenous evidence-based approach. Right. And then, so that's part of your colonial mindset, thinking that if it's not Western, then it's inferior. And we've just rejected that model. And that's why we've, you know, we've spent two or three years work on this, because we've had to start from scratch. Because no, no one, as far as we're aware, no one's done this work before. And for it to, you know, we, we have an independent uh, process, so the independent advisory body, and, uh, you know, we're going for membership of ICIL Alliance, and we'll be the first Indigenous uh, framework or model that will be a member of ICL Alliance. So and it's ICL Alliance. They're the, they're the standards body <laughs> internationally, so they look after Rainforest Alliance, Forestry Stewardship Council, um, 
uh, fair trade, any sort of standard. And uh, when you look at all the standards, there's no indigenous standard. And it's simply because no one's done the R&D to really look into it. Everyone's been trying to shoehorn or corrupt or modify. Everyone's trying to squeeze that round peg into a square hole. And we've just redesigned the hole. You're with Earth Matters, and I'm Beck Horridge. And I was talking to Rowan Foley, who is the manager of the Aboriginal Carbon Foundation, about the many projects to burn savannah in the traditional cool fire way to prevent bigger wildfires and cut CO2 emissions. Rowan gently unpacked my own colonial thinking. Let's hear more. But first, a few moments from a really fabulous animation on the website of the Aboriginal Carbon Foundation. It explains what Indigenous savannah burning and carbon credits are all about. We've always burned this country. You've got to burn country the right way, for the right reason. Most country, you got to burn early in the dry season before it gets too hot and dry. This keeps fires small and breaks up the country. Burnt areas, unburnt areas, and new growth. That stops them big wildfires. We slow cool fires around rainforests, our stations, to protect them. Or for bush tucker, you know. Plants and animals, right up the food chain, are looked after. And we can pull up most wildfires. Burning the right way keeps our country healthy and keeps our people strong. We burn as we travel, clearing the path. Pretty soon, new grass brings in big mob wallaby and another good tucker. But not many families live on their proper country now. It's a bit hard for countrymen to get out onto their homelands. A lot of people don't get out to burn properly like we should. Our country is singing out for us, waiting for us to come back. We cry for it. My grandfather gave me his wisdom to burn properly. I'm giving you that wisdom now. If we don't keep it alive, We'll lose it. If we don't make patches of burnt country, we've got no fire breaks. Them big wildfires, they just keep going. Burn everything. And the voice in that animation was Tony Doohan Lee. And the animation and soundscape was by David Penney. So do go to the Aboriginal Carbon Foundation website and see the rest of the animation. I loved it. Now, back to Rowan Foley, manager of the Aboriginal Carbon Foundation. You've made a carbon credit that's better than other carbon credits, am I right? So our trading arm, which we, we've been going for about 10 years now, and we set up our trading arm several months ago. So they trade Australian carbon credit units with social, cultural and environmental values, which is certified through an Indigenous-to-Indigenous approach. So it's traditional owners working with traditional owners. So, uh, you know, we have an approach which has integrity and uses traditional knowledge. And that's the approach when when we've done both of our training programs. 
we asked the rangers and traditioners, would you be interested in working with other rangers and traditioners? And they were like, when do we start? So it's about designing the tools, about get, having the right training program in the first place, and then designing the tools. So the question is, how do you design tools which have integrity, but do not use the colonizers' language of Portuguese, French, or English? And and that's I think that's the where we do the R and D and we do the the deep dive and we you know we are quite happy to share our philosophy. I presented at Edinburgh Uni several months ago, so we have a whole philosophy uh, around this that uh, is 20 pages long. Uh, so this is not just some uh, minor uh, work that we're doing. We 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 have engaged professional people uh, to do this work, and uh, we've asked them to to really put themselves in the shoes of the traditional owners, which they've done, to analyse their own white culture and to see uh, that the integrity of Indigenous knowledge uh, is maintained. And, um, yeah, that's what we've done. Could you maybe talk a little bit about the sources of funding you've had and how, what's, what the future holds? You are talking about um, carbon-neutral sure. lifestyles. Um, oh, well, we... Well, a couple of years ago, we put in uh, for a tender, a competitive tender with the Queensland government, and we won that tender to develop the carbon industry in Queensland. So we, uh, we've been doing that over the last couple of years. Um, one of the other projects that we're working on is developing a carbon-neutral lifestyle, so connecting with traditional owners, uh, bridging the disconnect between Indigenous and non-Indigenous in an authentic manner. So, you know, we're not trying to, you know... Like, I remember once someone said, you know, Johnny Howard thought if you squeezed a black fella hard enough, a white fella would jump out. And, uh, and, and that's corrupted people's thinking and their models and the frameworks that, and the, the, the approach that they've taken. And uh, we just don't do that. And um, so we have a, an approach which is, uh, respects Indigenous people and knowledge. And, you know, you, you can do it. You just have to go past the immediate knee-jerk reaction of, of Western thinking. So does this mean that someone like me could buy carbon credits from the Aboriginal Carbon Foundation and then I could still fly to Bali every year and drive my car around? Well, that's right. I th I, you, you can offset your carbon lifestyle, uh, but more, more than just having an environmental uh, impact in the work that you're doing, it's about having a connection with traditional owners. So it's about supporting and working with traditional owners through buying their carbon credits. So a lot of people will say, oh, we'd like to support the traditional owners, we'd like to support the rangers, we'd like to support the, the work they're doing on Aboriginal lands. Well, great, buy their carbon credits. Um, so it's now a fairly straightforward process, for, mainly for companies that are doing it, not so much for individuals, but there's certainly a way that people can connect and... Uh, demonstrate genuine support for traditional through through buying their carbon credits. So, so what's the future looking like for carbon farming in the top end? It's looking quite healthy. Um, carbon farming isn't an agribusiness like any other uh, agribusiness. Uh, one in every five years is a bad year. So, um, you know, so you have the, the ups and downs of your normal cycles. Uh, but, you know, the Paris Agreement is not going away. Um, you know, climate change is not going away. People are increasing their awareness that they can do something, and I think people want to increasingly support the traditional owners. So you can uh, support action on climate change, and you can support the traditional owners with carbon economies on the Aboriginal lands, and you can have those 
positive impacts in your life. You can also sequester carbon through herd methods. We mentioned that. Is there competition for the grass? Some people saying, no, we want our cows to eat it. And other people saying, no, let's burn it. The herd methodology works around getting cattle from paddock to plate in the most efficient time possible. So you have a reduction in methane gas. So if you can get your cows through the whole process in 18 months through improved efficiencies rather than two years, you will have a reduction in your methane production, so that, which is a greenhouse gas. So um, you know, eventually we'll be having cattle that um, are more climate friendly. Now, you know, I know there's some arguments around beef, but the less methane production we can have in our systems, the better. When I searched on the web for criticisms of savannah burning, I couldn't find any. Have you had any criticisms fired at the method? Well, fire management is a hot topic in Australia. Yeah. Uh, across northern Australia, it's become accepted that country should be burnt early in the dry season, and the traditional owner's technique of doing that is now well accepted. In southern Australia, burning country is still seen as being a very controversial topic. So the, uh, was it the biggest estate on earth, uh, that book that detailed when the early pastoralists and colonisers first came to Australia... Bill were, Gamage. Bill, yeah. Bill Gamage mm. remarked on how uh, the Australian landscape was like English parklands. It was open and they were quite amazed by that. And he has a painting on the front book and he, he documents it quite clearly. And yet the reduction of fire has led to country being... Uh, closed, if we can put it that way, and that's simply through less fires being you know, being put into the landscape, uh, and we see the devastating effects of wildfires. So um, you know, wildfires are something you manage country the right way, as traditional owners did for sixty-five thousand years. It leads to a lessening of wildfires because you just can't tolerate a system where people are burned to death. I mean, like you just no one would do that. You know, like it just doesn't make any sense. So the only logical technique that you can have is to burn country uh, to prevent the wildfires and to open it up for hunting and access. And, uh, and it's through a reduction of fire which has caused a lot of problems throughout the Australian landscape, particularly in southern Australia. And that's a very hot debate at the moment. Some people might say it leads to desertification, a more arid landscape. Is there truth in that? Well, we would believe that it lands, lands itself to a, a, a greater biodiverse environment because you will have vegetation which is more fire sensitive because you have a reduction in wildfires. When you're getting wildfires coming through like a bulldozer just taking out absolutely everything, um, you know, you, your, all your fire sensitive species are, are go up in ash. So um, we, we would argue that uh, more fire leads to greater biodiversity. What's your vision for the project's future? My vision is that every Australian will be carbon neutral and will be buying their carbon credits from traditional owners. Is there anything else you want to add or any asks you have from the listening audience out there? Oh, we're very open to collaboration and ideas. So if people want to come and work with us, then feel free. Um, you know, we, we work on the cutting edge of ideas and that's why our work's been picked up internationally. And uh, we, have a, we do a lot of R&D, a lot of deep thinking. And uh, all of our products are commercially, uh, you know, valuable. Uh, like it's the real deal. Uh, we, you know, and we work with traditional owners in a way that not many people do. And um, you know, it takes a lot of uh, thinking and a bit of courage to, to work on the cutting edge. And but we're always looking for new ideas and for people 
um, who are willing to make a contribution. And, that, and that's how we've got as far as we have. Do you find you're ending up documenting what traditional land management methods really are? Because you're asking people who live there and they're finally telling you so that you can write it down and record that? Data sovereignty is a very large issue about people coming in and researching traditional owners to death and, and people really don't, you know, engage, we, you know, that, that's, we reject that approach. But what we find is that there's very few tools that enables Indigenous people to work with Indigenous people. There's always a white fella up the front. And so when you, when you remove that white fella out of the um, process and you allow traditional owners to work with traditional owners, it's a different dynamic and a different framework. But it's de in developing those tools which enables that transfer of knowledge and um, expertise that that really is the interesting component to it. So the benefits are for Indigenous people working with Indigenous people. Um, and I and we don't we just don't see that approach too often. So often there's an approach where a university or a research company or an R and D outfit will benefit from working with traditional owners, and we just say, well, we're not interested in that approach. What we're interested in is giving the tools and the training and supporting traditional owners working with traditional owners. Brian Foley, thank you so much for talking to Earth Matters. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Roan tells me that on the 8th of May this year, the Aboriginal Carbon Foundation is hosting the inaugural International Indigenous Carbon Forum. You've been listening to Earth Matters. This edition was produced in the studios of Radio 2XX Canberra on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri peoples. For Radio 3CR in Melbourne, in Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support. And if you'd like to get in touch with Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page on Earth Matters 3CR Radio or follow us on Twitter at EarthMRadio. If you'd like to listen to or share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. That's all for today's show. Thanks so much for sharing this time with us. The Earth Matters team will be back next week with more environmental and social justice stories. And now the song that Rowan requested... Jimmy Little, with his hit White Fella, Black Fella, released 20 years ago in 1999. Black Fella, White Fella your color as long as you're a, a true fella as long as you're a, a real fella all the people of different races with different lives in different places it doesn't matter what your name is 